Gordon and Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Action Plumbing. What's what's going on where we check in with uh, the other shows on the Zone Sports Network? Uh, DJ and PK and Hans and Scotty G. Uh, Gordon, of course, uh, BYU-Boise State, a big topic today on DJ and PK, and they had Brian Keel on. Uh, we've been talking to Brian for, for years. He's been coming on weekly with those guys this year. He's great. Yeah, uh, no doubt about that. Always has uh, an opinion and a uh, good dude, nonetheless. Uh, uh, here's Brian uh, talking about what he expects to see tomorrow. So recruiting has changed since you were recruited, but that doesn't mean that you don't know some younger folks going through it and all that. Can you really, for the people who've never been through it, a month until the next big game, the next test, assuming that you know there isn't another game added to the schedule, but a month, how many potential athletes is, uh, is the BYU coaching staff going to reach out to in that point? Plus, how many times is Kirk Herbstreit going to use the letters BYU uh, in order uh, on ESPN and what impact that has on recruiting? I mean, how much is the average 16, 17-year-old going to get hit with the Cougars if, if, they, if the Cougars win this game? Yeah, exactly. And, that, and yes, it has changed. Recruiting is a whole different universe now than what it was 20 years ago when I was getting recruited. And um, it's I mean, it's the full-court press now. And, you know, for better or for worse, this generation of kids that are in high school right now that are coming out, um, they're different than my generation. They're different than your generation. They're different than those of us who came before. Um, you know, they love the hype and the social media and exposure and look at me and – and the videos of uh, press conferences of announcing who, where they're going and their commitments and all that crap, because I, I think a lot of it is crap, and I'm, I'm not for that part of it. But, but like I said, for better or for worse, that is how it is right now, and that is a lot of what drives these kids and their decision-making and where they're going to go play college football. And so, yeah, the more exposure BYU, the more mentions, the more – social media engagement, the, the, the more tweets, the, the more ESPN posts, and, and on and on and on. That all just builds the, the – the, it, it, it expands our net. And, you know, there's, there's a certain size to, to the potential recruits that we can get. And if we can increase that net, then statistically it's going to increase our talent and you increase your talent and you, you, you just have – a better opportunity to win games and it just it all adds to each other so yeah this this next month i mean it's just this is it this is it like i said we can lose and it's not the end of the world don't head for the cliff all, all that stuff that being said i mean this is 
This is the, the greatest opportunity, at least in the last 20 years, maybe the last 30 years that BYU's had. So from the BYU perspective, what concerns you about the potential to win this game? Um, so you, <clears throat> Boise, you, you, I mean, some of the things that you guys elaborated on. So they've only lost a handful of games at home. They're, they're so hard to beat up there. Um, I mean, we've had, you know, three games won basically up there and, and crapped our pants with a missed field goal, uh, a, a two-point conversion, and, and then running out of time two years ago. I mean, we've had our chances and we haven't got it done. They're, they're a well-coached football team. They have good players. They play hard. They're, they play smart. They play very well at home. It's a tough place to play. They, they don't lose there very often. They're a great program. One of the winningest programs in college football in the last 20 years. And so all of those things stack up against us. And the, the things that go in our favor are our quarterback who's just playing on another level right now. All those players that you you uh, you mentioned, um, the, the team, you know, they, I think that hopefully they realize the gravity of this moment and – you know, in the last couple of years, one of the things that Kalani and staff have done is they've played well in the big games, and and so you know it's the, it's the lesser games where they've they've underperformed, and so for those reasons, you know that's that's what gives me hope. You know, you just made the promo for the day for the show, right? I don't. What's that? When you said, when you said, we've had our chances, but we've crapped our pants. Yeah, that that's the promo. That's going to play another thirty or forty times. That's uh, yeah, yeah. Quote it. Quote it. <laughs> it's accurate, hundred percent. I don't know. I I have a feeling it's uh, it's going to be different this time. Yeah. Well, I mean, BYU's better this time. I think so too. It goes back to something that we we talked about a little bit yesterday. You know, you go back to that uh, 2008 BYU team that I thought was really good and, and was really good, uh, but then they had that no show to TCU. I just mm-hmm. I just don't see that happening this time, just because there's. I mean, I guess there was a lot on the line then too, but there just seems to be so much on the line with this particular BYU team focusing on this particular game to prove their legitimacy. Do you think they might clench up a little bit and uh, or tighten up? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to know a lot of these guys personally and the vibe in the locker room and all those sorts of things. But it seems like the, this team has very strong leadership. Um, who were uh, – who was um, – maybe it was Hans who was talking. Yeah, it was Hans who was talking about the 96 BYU team and the strong leadership that they had going into that mm-hmm. Kansas State Bowl game yeah. and how it kept everybody even keeled and, uh, you, you know, they were really prepared and, and played a very sound football game and he credited the leadership. It feels like there's a little bit of that going on with this they BYU had gr- team. They had great players on that team. They had great players on that 96 team. I consider that team one of the top three teams in, in BYU football history. It was really good. And uh, because they they had terrific players, so does BYU have terrific players this time? Does it have enough of them? I consider, you know, you think of a guy like Isaiah Kafusi. I mean, is that guy not uh, the kind of guy that you would want to be leading your defense? Seems like it. Yeah, right. he's he's terrific. And so maybe you're right. Maybe the, maybe the Cougars have the leadership in place to be able to handle the uh, the intense nature of this game, and that's what it is. And the thing about it, you and I are talking about this, and we're saying it, but the players know it too. They know the caliber of competition they've played thus far, and they know what's at stake here in this game. 
And I, I, it would be kind of silly for them to turn away from that or to try and trick themselves into believing, ah, oh, this is just another week. No, this is big. And uh, players who are, are wired a certain way love those kinds of games, those kinds of opportunities. Uh, some don't. Some don't. Some get nervous. Some don't play as well. And we're going to find out uh, what BYU is made of. That's uh, a bit of a cliche, but I think it's applicable here for sure. One thing I agree with that they were discussing as well, this year's been terrific for BYU as far as their overall uh, publicity goes, as far as uh, the effect on recruiting, I imagine. Um that they have gotten so much talk. I mean, BYU is talked about every week in college football now. It's been strange. I mean, some teams haven't been playing. By the way, did you see that the Cal-Washington game has been uh, X'd out? I did see that, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough way for the Pac-12 to get started in the very first week to have a team that couldn't field a team. Well, as John Canzano uh, points out, uh, those two weeks where they just did nothing after they got their testing, where they just sat in the basement and it gave them no room for for flexibility whatsoever. And thus you have to have a a completely canceled game instead of a rescheduled one. Yeah. Anyway, so so BYU is uh, because some teams haven't been playing and because they've played poor teams, they've been able to build up this – this schedule, this record, that apparently is paying off for them because they're getting so much acclaim. And, look, it's more than just that. Anybody who sees Zach Wilson and the way he's playing this year, PK was the first one to really say it that I heard him here. He said he's sensational. And I thought he was good. I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was, well, I think we said really good, didn't we, Jake? I don't know whether that really makes any difference. But PK's over going, this kid's sensational. And I'll tell you, he has been. I know the last game wasn't his best effort, but there were reasons for that that I don't think really matter. But uh, so, so yeah, when you have a quarterback who can sling it like that and is playing with the confidence that he's playing with, uh, that, that greatly aids you. Uh, in those occasions back in the day with those uh, terrific BYU teams that Lavelle was coaching, they had great quarterback, great quarterback to step up and make some plays that had to be made in order for BYU to win big games. And this is a big game. I've heard some people say, oh, come on, it's just Boise State. It's just a Mountain West team. No, it's not. I mean, yeah, that's true. But Boise State has national recognition and national respect. And, uh, I mean, they're ranked. Uh, they, they have BYU has an opportunity to really show everyone that they are as as good as they have at least appeared to be against these lesser foes. All right, let's check in with Hanson Scotty. They had a chance to talk to Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star, giving his thoughts on the Utes and the Wildcats this weekend. I got to imagine there's probably some people in Tucson not particularly thrilled with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, just how much of a hot seat is he on? And, and is it overall that hot, considering the university might have to make some decisions with Sean Miller and they're in the middle of a uh, pandemic and, and, and in a uh, financial crisis? Well, as you mentioned, there's a lot of factors that go into this, right? Um, I think under normal circumstances where there wasn't a huge financial crunch, in place and and maybe it was a full length season you know you could make a clear assessment at the end of the year whether to to continue uh with kevin Sumlin. 
Um, they went nine and fifteen the first two seasons. Didn't make a bowl game either year. They were coming off seven and six. The whole um, Khalil Tate thing kind of blew up on them uh, in a bad way, not in a good way. However, this year you've got the financial crisis that every athletic department is experiencing. Um, it's hard to justify paying someone $7.5 million or $5 million, depending on when you do it, to not work for you. Uh, the department just laid off 21 people. You also have this weird season, right? I mean, it's only seven games long. It wasn't his fault that Colin Schooler and Tony Fields and Scotty Young and Brendan Schooler um, ended up transferring. Um, so there's a lot of built-in excuses. The question is, you know, how long of a losing streak can you tolerate? You know, they lost their last seven games last season. If you look at the schedule this year at Utah, home USC, uh, at Washington to start, it's not hard to envision that losing streak growing to 10 games. Um, and but at that point, you know, you wonder, like, where is the team going to be at mentally, psychologically? Are they, are they still going to be checked in or are they going to check out? Um, and then does the losing streak grow? And if it gets to a certain point, it just may not be feasible to bring him back no matter what the numbers look like, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the bookkeeping realm. One area I'm looking at that's got to be somewhat of a of positive thing with Arizona is kind of a veteran-led offensive line in front of what should be a pretty darn good quarterback in Grant Gunnell. Talk about that offensive line and, and how a sophomore ended up winning that left tackle spot. Yeah, um, on paper, it is a pretty good-looking offensive line. Um, the sophomore you referenced is Jordan Morgan, who's a local kid, extremely athletic, someone that USC went after late in the recruiting cycle that Kevin Selman was able to hold on to. And they considered his upside to be so great that they moved last year's left tackle, um, Donovan Lai, the left guard. Um, so they should have a really strong left side of the line. I'd say the concern heading into this game is the health status of veteran center Josh McCauley, um, two-year starter, fifth-year senior, hurt his knee early in camp, not sure if he's going to be back in time uh, for the Utah game. Um, in theory, it won't be as big of an issue as it might have been in a normal road game without a crowd, uh, you know, in, in effect or in play there at the stadium. Um, the right side of the line, you've got a junior college transfer in Peyton Fears taking over full-time at right tackle. You've got a couple veterans at right guard. In theory, on paper, the offense overall should be pretty good. Um, if, if, if Arizona's going to win any games this year, um, some people think they aren't going to win any, but if they are going to, <laughs> the offense is going to have to carry them. And I think they're, and I think they're very capable of doing that. Um, they're going to have to win some shootouts. They're going to have to you know, play from ahead uh, and force teams maybe to you know, get out of their comfort zone when they're on offense because they're trying to catch up. There you go. That was Michael Lev uh, from uh, he covers the Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. Let's say it the way it is here, Jake. The, the Utes are, are they got more talent than Arizona does. You know, I mean, Utah should win this game uh, without a problem. Now there is uh, the inexperience factor with the Utes, and but. But I'm a believer. I'm a big believer in talent. I understand that a mistake might be made here and there, and that might cost you some points. But I'll go with the better Utes. That's why I look at this game. Do you have any theories as to why the Arizona teams 
We can talk about either the the Sun Devils or or the Wildcats have not been able to have sustained success in football. It's a mystery to me. Now, some people say it's because Arizona is a basketball school. It's a basketball school. You know, so that gets in the way. But uh, why can't you be really good at both? Well, I mean, I, I have, you, think... have you been to Arizona's campus? I mean, it's it's a beautiful place. You, got, you know, they got a, a large student body there. They they have a lot to like. So I, I, I'm not I'm not sure I fully understand that myself. And I I don't understand the same thing about Arizona State. I, I mean, yeah, they they're, they're they've been kind of good, but it seems like they should be better than they are. I, I've been torn on this because I don't in the past I've, I've talked about it, I don't feel like there are a whole lot of excuses for either of those schools to to not be good at uh, football but there is something to the resources you know it's a basketball school the basketball program gets a lot of the sports resources you know I think the same thing happens at UCLA uh, I, I know you say can't you be good at both and I get what you're saying right there but sometimes one program takes priority over the other. But what do you think about this? Because every time I've talked to PK about this and, and the Sun Devils, he said that players, and, and Brian Keel alluded to this a little bit earlier when we played that, that former clip from DJ and PK, uh-huh. players want the love. They want the attention. And nobody cares about Arizona and Arizona State football. They want yeah, to have the crowds and the TV and, and all of that. Can't you make it so? I mean, when Lou Olson went to Arizona, had the Wildcats been really good before he got there? I don't remember them being great before that. Maybe I'm, maybe I, I'm just uh, not remembering that correctly. But you, you can build something, can't you? And there have been times when I thought Arizona was building something with their football program. Of course, Arizona State, they've got, uh, they, you know, going way back to Frank Cush, but it hasn't been sustained. Have they really? When when would you say you thought Arizona was building something? I, Did they have that Desert sure. Swarm defense back in the day? Red, what was that defense called? Yeah, the Desert what? Swarm, and wasn't it good one year? And the Utes beat them in the Freedom Bowl. <laughs> it didn't last long, huh? Yeah. No, back back when uh, didn't Teddy Bruschi play there? Uh huh. The Desert Swarm, yeah. Well, I thought there was a, a year or two before. I don't know if it was consecutive years, but I. I but I even they, so, we are talking about right. thirty years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got me there. But I've been to the school. I've walked around the campus. I look around and say, "Wow, this wouldn't be a bad place to go to school." All right. Let's see I, here. They had a they had a ten win season in two thousand fourteen. That was when Rich Rod won the division, probably right. Uh huh. Let's see. The only they had a couple of eight win seasons. Let me make sure this is, let's see, before that they had a, let's see, oh, they were 12-1 in 1998. They were 10-2 okay. in 93. That was the year the youth played them in the Freedom Bowl, I think. And then a lot of average outside of that. So so it's just kind of hitting little, little spots here and there. They have, it would appear, three 10-win seasons in their history. But if you get ten wins or you go twelve and one, shouldn't you? I mean, isn't that like sort of that, that that moment when you say, "Okay, this is the tipping point. We are we are changing things around here. We're building something. We're making something that people will want to the kids that athletes will want to come play in." It, you you mentioned Lute Olson though, Gordon. Maybe the facilities for so long have been geared towards them being a basketball school that money wasn't spent at Arizona on football right. stuff. Until well, the, of late. 
the stadium isn't a, isn't a crown jewel. I mean, it's big. It's big, and I think they did redo parts of it. But I mean, more like uh, weight rooms and classrooms yeah, and, and locker yeah. rooms and, and facilities for players to eat and lift and play and relax. That's all geared towards basketball players at Arizona. So if it's can't can't they both use that stuff? I, I, I guess they could. Well, but. there are separate facilities at Utah for football and basketball. Yeah, separate facilities at BYU. I mean, I but nobody goes to Arizona football games, Gordon. You've been down there. Nobody cares. Well, maybe it's because they haven't been consistently good. But it's tough to yeah, get I, good players to come when they don't feel any love and well, they don't feel I, any support. I, yeah, yeah, I understand. So it's it's a chicken, chicken, or, which yeah. comes first, a chicken or the egg? I, at some point, you got to capture people's imagination. Uh, you know, uh, before Lavelle Edwards uh, took over at BYU, they had a couple. They had a little here and there, but not much. And somehow he managed to build something up. Uh, programs are built. And, yeah, you got to have the right people. Why would Kevin Sumlin go to Arizona from Texas A&M if, if he didn't think he could build something there? Well, he got fired from Texas A&M, so oh, he probably right. wanted a job, I'm guessing. Yeah, but yeah, but still, I mean, a guy like that, you'd think that he could, he could catch on somewhere where in a winning program. Would you? I don't know. I mean, he had Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M for one year, which fooled us all. Yeah. I mean, didn't and Nick Saban got fired from the Dolphins, didn't he? Uh, didn't No, Nick Saban left in the middle of the night. <laughs> he didn't get fired. He bounced. He got out. Got it, but he sucked. Or people thought he did. Who was the other one who got out? Oh, it was uh, Bobby Petrino who got out in the middle of the night, too. And why am I thinking Steve Spurrier? Didn't he do something No, similar? he got fired because he was okay. dreadful in Washington. All right. He did what Rick Pitino did when he went to the Celtics, and, and he drafted all of his own Florida guys. Oh, okay. And then it didn't exactly, you know, work out well for him. I think he had Danny Werfel as his quarterback. That's right. Yeah. But see, once a, once a coach wins and people see that he can win, even if, even if he tails off, and even if he does get fired, it seems like many of them get opportunities again because they, they, they can look at something tangible and say, okay, I built that. Okay, well, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do it again. Well, maybe uh, he sucked the first time and had nothing to do with the success and just happened to be there. <laughs> well, that could be, I suppose. But I, I didn't have that impression of him. I I I agree with you, Jake. I am I'm mystified by why Arizona isn't better. I understand that yeah, resources go to the basketball side, but I don't know. It seems like if you hired the right guy and paid him enough money, that he he could utilize a formula that would build something positive. Well, what about Jimbo Fisher, who won a national title at Florida State and has been remarkably average at Texas A&M? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I think there are dozens of examples of that. I mean, Gary Anderson has yet to really duplicate the success that he had at Utah State. Well, he kind of did at Wisconsin, I guess, then left there early and certainly did not at Oregon State. Mm -hmm. Seeing how it goes the second time around at Utah State, but... Well, since we're on this subject, then let, let, let me throw some belts out there. Are, are really quality coaches so rare that there's just... 15, 20 of them, and that's it? 
That's is, is it such a rare skill that teams like Arizona and other places can't find an up and coming coach who can help build their program into something good, maybe spectacular. I mean, really, are are is, are there only is Nick Saban such an anomaly? Is uh, Dabo Swinney such an anomaly? Aren't there other guys out there who know what they know, who well, can do what they do? I think I think I'm a big believer in right coach, right place, right time. Uh, what do you mean? Mm, Nick Saban is a good coach, but being at Alabama is a tremendous advantage. Huh. Well, he's certainly been better there than he was any other place he's been. Pete Carroll, right place, right time, right guy for USC. You know, he yeah, wasn't he exactly a highly he respected lived. coach going into that. He had two fails in the NFL. Yeah. He was uh, living in Manhattan Beach and out surfing every morning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do believe that, uh, that Kyle Whittingham is the right coach at the right place. Yeah. I mean, not to say that he wouldn't have success uh, other places, but I think part of the reason that he hasn't gone anywhere is because he's, he's got a good thing going for himself and he's figured out some things at Utah. Some ways to be successful at that particular place. So what you're saying is that there are good coaches out there who are at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. I believe that. Yeah, 100%. Well, I wonder how you make it. I wonder how. Can you force it? Can you? If you have the knowledge and the, and the, uh, the, the ability to coach a program the way it, it should be coached, I wonder if. I wonder how hard it is to build something out of what some people might perceive to be nothing. Well, I mean, we all, uh, I think all three of us, pretty confident in this one, agree that Jerry Sloan was a pretty darn good head coach. But when he, his first his first gig with the Bulls, he wasn't the right coach for that fit at that time. Well, he said that he had made some mistakes right? that he uh, learned from. Which, again, falls into time, right? You know, the next time around, I'm going to do it better. Well, it also that that also can can you can build that into the the, the individual, the coach, because if if you become a, a great coach, it doesn't mean you always were one. Chip Kelly had plenty of success at Oregon. Doesn't seem to be duplicating that at UCLA. Yeah, that's a really good example. So I mean yeah. that that was the the right place for him. And he was taking over that program from Mike Bellotti. Remember that? You know, it was really stable. Of course, you've got Uncle Phil, and he just took it to the next level. But at UCLA, he didn't inherit the same type of team and the same type of situation. So can you say the same thing about even the great Bill Belichick? Sure. Because when he coached at Cleveland, he was not particularly at one good year, I think. I didn't think he was particularly good at Dallas either. Was Bill Belichick at Dallas? Yeah, for several years. Or not Bill Belichick. Who am I thinking of? Bill Parcells. Sorry, that's my phone. Oh. I was thinking uh, Bill Parcells because Bill was considered a legend, right? But he never won without Belichick. He never won a Super Bowl without Belichick. Uh-huh. But Belichick has won a Super Bowl without Bill Parcells. Sorry, uh-huh. I was getting a little jumbled no, in my own brain. I was it's just, Bill it's a, you know, it's a fascinating thing to think about. And and I, you know, if, if, if you are a talented coach and you're considering going to a certain place, I'm sure that, that they uh, – plumb those depths pretty carefully about picking their spot because they have options to go different places. We certainly saw that with Urban Meyer checking out Utah. 
But I, I think it's why coaches, even good coaches like Stu Morrill, are oftentimes tempted to stay where they're comfortable. Or Randy Ray, you know? Yeah. I, uh-huh. I think that sometimes a bird in hand is better than the ball on the carpet. <laughs> I uh, want to remind you about our title sponsor, Big O Tires. Winter tires starting at only $49.95, only at Big O Tires with no credit needed. Financing available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. More next, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Gordon, we'll, uh, we can get into this uh, a little bit more in depth and we have a little bit more time later on in the show. But uh, it seems to me there's a, there's a little more smoke than usual around a possible trade for Rudy Gobert. Uh, ben Anderson uh, has a new piece up at kslsports.com talking about really some, some options that uh, Zach Lowe uh, uh, put out there. We saw a, a rumor yesterday about the Dallas Mavericks possibly being interested. That are people uh, floating that out there. Well, what do you make of the smoke? I guess surrounding Rudy Gobert. Should we read into that at all? Well, I think anytime you have a player who uh, is is uh, is tempting, uh, who's really talented, who's really good, who can make a difference in a game, and he's coming up on a, a, a big contract. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's natural for people to consider those possibilities. I know that, you know, there's some guys who just don't ever hear about being involved in that kind of thing. But yeah, I I, uh, I would almost expect that, at least some chatter. I, I don't know how serious it is, but, yeah, it's, it doesn't really surprise me. And if I had the right makeup of players – I would be I would be very interested in getting Rudy Gobert because of the way he changes games at the defensive end. I remember we you and I were talking to Kevin O'Connor back in the day when the Jazz were were all right, but they didn't have if they'd had Rudy Gobert, they would have been fine. It would have been terrific. But they, he's what he can do for a team. There's like two guys in the league who can do that. Yeah, but it, the Jazz are just in, in. Well, the reason I brought it up with you is I, I, we just you don't usually see this kind of uh, rumor mill with a Jazz player. We just don't. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's coming somewhere. I mean, uh, uh, coming from somewhere. Is it the rest of the league assuming the Jazz have to make a move with Rudy or are likely to make a move with Rudy, or is it, uh, you know, is uh, Justin Zanuck out there kicking the tires on this thing? I'm just or, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that there's so much out there about it right now. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And I don't know who from which end it's emanating. But maybe maybe some of it started back when there was some sort of perceived uh, division between uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I, I don't know. Or maybe it goes back before that, back when uh, Rudy was complaining about not getting the ball enough. Yeah. Or maybe it's other leagues out there seeing the Jazz in a tight spot and thinking they can pounce. Uh, but why are they in a tight spot? Because they don't want to super max out Rudy. But do other teams want to do that? I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Or maybe it's a the the those people out there know it's an all or nothing thing for Rudy, and 
that's what he wants. And if he doesn't get it from the Jazz, he'll he'll move on. I don't know. Yeah, and I, maybe that that loosens up the screws for the Jazz to uh, allow him to go via trade. Um, I I it seems like it, for most teams in the NBA. If if you say, uh, do you think Rudy Gobert is worth the supermax? I, I think most teams would say no. But it can't get a supermax with a different team, I believe. Oh, that's right, that's so, right. But they would obviously be willing to pay him a whole bunch of money. The, the, like I, I get why teams would want Rudy, but I mean, would be would we be hearing all of this if if it weren't a possibility? I mean, like I get why I get why the Dallas Mavericks would want Rudy because then they can move Chris Stapps to the four, which he should be playing anyway because he's mm-hmm. not a real physical player and he can spread the floor. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. You know, if you've got a seven footer that can move and shoot and and handle the ball, I know he's not a, a great ball handler, but you know he can put it on the deck. You don't want him uh, playing in the middle and playing the pick and roll with Luca. Probably want him on the wing or or uh, running pick and rolls with Rudy himself. You know, or I I, I could see where he would fit. Um, I think uh, like Boston, for example, which uh, has been uh, there's some rumors out there. I could yeah. see why they would want somebody like Rudy because they used to have Al Horford's defense in the middle that really anchored them and made them a two way team, and they were missing that last year. But it's you know it's the price, and and like you alluded to earlier, I would want to know what kind of price tag would be on Rudy because I wouldn't want to uh, trade for just a one year guy. Yeah, well, yeah, but if you're talking about Dallas uh, and Dallas wants uh, Rudy Gobert, what would the Jazz ask in return? I don't know. I mean, that's one thing Ben did on his piece. Again, Ben uh, Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. You know, he's got that uh, scenario out that Dallas would send Maxi Kleber, uh, Seth Curry, Dorian Finley-Smith, and DeLon Wright, and the Jazz would send Rudy back. Do, do you think that's a good deal for the Jazz? Oh, I like some of those players, but uh, mm. they're not as good as Rudy. Oh, I like uh, Maxi Kleber. You don't like Maxi? Uh, no, but I mean Rudy. And I like Dorian Finley-Smith. All right, if I'm the Jazz, it would take a little more than that. Well, you're not going to get an all-star all-star. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. I mean, you're not going to trade Rudy for Kawhi Leonard. Well, I mean, yeah, but not Kawhi, but he's the best player in the league or second best or third. But, I mean, in this these sorts of trades, like when the Jazz traded Darren Williams, you've got to take some pros- uh, prospects back. You're not going to get another all-star point guard. That's just not how these types of trades traditionally work. Well, they should. Well, why would another team do that, though? Because they really think Rudy Gobert could help them win big. But okay, and so he, if he's we, the missing piece. So you're you're talking Boston. So if they're going to trade All Star for All Star, you think Boston would trade Jason Tatum for Rudy Gobert? No. I mean, no. is is Dallas going to trade Kristaps for Rudy? But why you wouldn't make that trade unless you had already knew in advance that he was going to resign with you if he were going to come at an expensive price, right? Or you so, roll the dice like like uh, Oklahoma City did with Paul George. Yeah. Or Toronto did with Kawhi, right? Yeah, I unless these things are emanating from Rudy's agent or. You know, I sometimes the Jazz are so tight-lipped about this stuff. I have to assume it's coming from the other end. And uh, I, if I'm Dennis Lindsay, I'm not giving up Rudy Gobert. If I have any interest in signing him uh, to a long-term deal, I am not giving him up for anything that isn't just top dollar. 
He's too valuable to think about what the Jazz would have been like without him last year at the defensive end. And I know you're going to say, well, that 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 uh, litany of players that you just ran off uh, the list of maybe they would make a difference. Maybe they would. But would they make the same kind of difference as what Rudy was doing for the Jazz? It'd be a different direction, though, you know. Yeah, I guess. I, I certainly leave the possibility open. And uh, these things are coming from somewhere. Somebody's talking about this. Well, yeah. That's why I wonder yeah. if the Jazz are kicking the tires on it. Why some of the smoke is coming from they are making some phone calls. Which I don't know, by the way. I'm, I'm total speculation. I'm not sure. The only way you would do that, one, is if you didn't want to pay Rudy what you already know he's going to demand from you. Or you don't think Donovan and Rudy are going to be good enough to uh, to lead you to where you want to get. So if that if that's the case, then that's an admission that what you what you have at your very core, not just on the periphery, but at your very core is not good enough. And won't be good enough. At least not at that price tag. That's the hard part of all this. At yeah, that- but yeah, but my point is that if the Jazz thought they could win a championship with these two being the core pieces, then they would be willing to pay, in my opinion, uh, I'm guessing here, they'd be willing to pay whatever was necessary. Well, but that's the hard part about this, because if you've got two max guys on your team, you don't have enough to pay anybody else. Well, but that I mean, but that's the that's the difficulty everybody faces. True. And that's why you see LeBron and Anthony Davis and uh, a bunch of, you know, older veterans and and younger upstarts. When you when you commit that kind of money to your star players, they have to be good enough to take you where you want to go. Otherwise, you get an Andre Kirilenko situation and then you're you're then you're stuck. Right. So Exactly. This is the evaluation the Jazz have to make. And if they don't think these two are that, then, yeah, then a move needs to be made. All right, stay tuned. It's not going to be Donovan. No, I I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Uh, We've got the Not Sports Port coming up next. Stay tuned. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by our friends at the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? I've got two items. The second one is the better one, but let me lead off with this uh, just uh, appetizer, all right? Uh, a woman, her name is Sydney. she sent out a, uh, a tweet that uh, said it had a picture of her her ex-boyfriend with a pair of sunglasses on. And she's sitting in front of him. 
And there's a little thought bubble above it. It says that one time my boyfriend of four years Snapchatted me, him cheating on me. And if you look closely at the picture in the reflection on his sunglasses, you can see the image of a woman standing right there. And apparently she recognized the woman. So she saw it through the sunglasses? Yeah, a reflection in the sunglasses. Who's she, MacGyver? Not a good move on his part, I guess. (laughs) Be careful out there, I guess. And here's the good news. I think it's good news. Help me understand whether it's good news or bad news, guys. Wedding Crashers 2 is officially, well, is is probably going to happen. I saw that. And uh, bad news. Count me on the bad news front. Let's see. Vince Vaughn. You know, Vince Vaughn is 50 years old. And Owen Wilson is 51. Uh, so Vince Vaughn was talking to, uh, I believe, his entertainment tonight. He said, Owen and I and the director of Crashers have been talking for the first time seriously about a sequel to that movie. So there has been an idea that is pretty good. So we're talking about that in the early stages. Now, that is a funny, funny movie. Do you leave it be and let it stand on its own, or do you besmirch the whole thing with another episode? Leave it be. I love Wedding Crashers. Amazingly funny. Seen it a zillion times, and uh, you're not going to recapture the magic, so don't try. You'll never make it as a Hollywood agent, Jake. Yeah, right. I know (laughs) they love uh, reheating everything in Hollywood. No, they love paydays. True. But, but if, I mean, you, if you get the same people involved, well, I don't know if Todd would be in this one. But, I mean, you get the same folks involved, Vince and, and Owen, and you get the same director and you get quality participants, then you might be able to. I mean, Godfather 2 was just about as good as Godfather. Uh, yeah, that's the one sequel <laughs> in history that might be better than the original. No, that's I don't, not true. I don't think it's better than the original, but that's like the one that might be. Toy Story 2 was better than Toy Story. No, I don't. I'm not going to split hairs with the Toy <laughs> Stories. Um, no, I, I hope the same, they don't Yeah, do but it. it's the same people. I mean, the, you know, maybe so they So was Anchorman be... 2, and, yeah. and you would have to pay me so much money to watch that again. <laughs> Because it was so unbelievably bad. And, and you know the problem with comedies, honestly, the, the problem with comedy sequels is they try to do the same jokes in the sequel that they did in the original. And, by, yeah, and you're like, oh, I just no. saw this. Like, yeah. go watch Austin Powers 2. It's the exact same movie as Austin Powers 1. Well, you gotta, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta have a fresh approach. And that's why I was encouraged when he said it's a pretty good idea. The story idea is good. So I think guys like, wouldn't Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, wouldn't they be aware of something that would be a cheap kind of replication? Yeah, but they still want you to go see it so they make money. Wait, didn't, what what was that horrible, uh, well, the Owen Wilson, wasn't, who was it? Let's see. Owen Wilson has done some bad sequels. Yeah, and Vince has been in some crappy movies too. It's a little scary. But that was just, that was such a classic movie that uh, you, you want to hope for the best. You want to hope for the best. And by the way, what's his name? <laughs> who's, who's the bad guy in that movie? Bradley, Brad, Cooper. Bradley, Bradley Cooper. 
What? I mean, didn't you just want to punch him right in the nose in that movie? Nah, I kind of liked him. <laughs> Made me want to move to Maryland, I, I tell you. Football I, yeah, and uh, crab cakes. Oh, and as you cakes. know, so uh, as you know, Austin, I have sailed on that uh, that sailboat, that yacht. Yeah, you and Bradley Cooper's character have a lot in common. No, no, I just that was Lots. kind of that was kind of not at all. Are you kidding me? He was repulsive. Well, <laughs> is this one of those self awareness moments? <laughs> just saying, there's some similarities there. Uh, come on, you both claim like to be that. great sailors. Although I will say that Jake does remind me of Owen Wilson, and Owen Wilson reminds me of Jake a little bit. How about that? I'll take that. And I really like Owen Wilson. I like Vince Vaughn too, and together I really like him. By the way, I have sailed on that uh, on that sailboat. In fact, that's the that's the sail that's the boat I was on, Austin, when I sent you that picture of me uh, piloting said uh, yacht. Yeah, when it was docked in the harbor. Yeah, yeah and and on the Chesapeake there. Yeah. I'm a sailor. I'm sailing. <laughs> I'm just saying that there was no way to prove you were actually sailing and not, didn't just walk onto someone's boat. Take a <laughs> no, picture I was, and wonder. Well, I, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't rent the boat myself. I, I have and take a picture. I have a picture of you on a boat at the wheel. That's that's accurate. That's the wedding crashers' uh, sailboat, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wasn't alone. Though. I mean, it's not like I was. Popeye the Sailor Man out on the ocean by myself. Josh Newman is going to join the show coming up next. It's the big show. I say go for it, man. I say Wedding Crashers, too. Yes, do it. Popeye and uh, Jake Scott will have more next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. <laughs>